Welcome to the LifeWay Student Ministry Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Trueblood, alongside John Paul Basham. Yo! And a special guest that I can't wait to introduce to you here in just a moment. But before we get to that, I want to encourage you to leave a rating and review. We love to hear what you think of the podcast so that we can make it better for you amazing student pastors out there. You can uh, hit five stars if you like. And But be honest, we just like five the best and tell us what you think. Thanks in advance for doing that. Our guest today is Sean McDowell. He is a gifted communicator with a passion for equipping the church, particularly young people, to make the case for the Christian faith. He has a PhD in apologetics and worldview from Southern Seminary and is an associate professor in apologetics at Biola University, travels the world speaking in the realm of apologetics and worldview, and is the author of more than 20 books. 20 is a lot of books. He's also the co-host of the Think Biblically podcast, so make sure you go and give it a listen. His new book and Bible study releasing in December 2020 is called Chasing Love, Sex, Love, and Relationships, in a confused culture. You can find out more about that book and study at lifeway.com slash chasing love. Sean, we've made it. This is episode number four in the series on teenagers, love, sex, gender, and relationships, where we talk through some really significant issues along with um, your newest book and study coming out called Chasing love. And so, so far, just to catch you up, if you've been listening, uh, if you haven't gone back and listened from the beginning, episode 255 on the LifeWay Student Ministry Podcast is where this series kicks off. And we introduce uh, five significant issues that are impacting teenagers today in this area of love, sex, gender, and relationships, LGBTQ uh, conversations, hookup culture, sexual abuse, and abortion. And then we've kind of taken a journey from there as we've identified those issues that are really significant, again, within this specific topic area. And uh, Sean's talked us through how student pastors can equip themselves to address these issues, uh, how the church and student pastors can partner with parents. And today, in the last episode of this series, we'll talk about how you as a student pastor can pastor in this really significant moment. So in episode one, if you've listened to all of them, and if you haven't, bounce back there really quickly and catch up. Uh, I said I wanted to come back to a specific moment uh, in that first episode. And Sean, you had talked about um, how it's difficult to have these conversations because if we can sometimes come off sounding like a bigot or being uh, seen with hatred, uh, if a strong stance is taken on these issues. And so I would love for us to start off the how we can pastor people through these issues with that specific thing and uh, a little wisdom on, hey, like we need to be truthful, but also loving and not be a bigot in our truth. I was in a debate with an outspoken atheist about a year and a half ago. And I said to him, I said, look, you and I disagree about same-sex marriage, but I've read both sides and I actually think you're motivated by what you think is true. Why doesn't your side show the same charity to me? And he said, mm. I don't care if you put a smile on it. You are stealing people's rights. 
What was hmm. he basically saying? You are a bigot, and the only way you're not a bigot is to change your theology and become affirming. Mm. Now, I hear that from atheists, and I've heard that from some Christians. Why am I starting with this when you said create a space for conversation <laughs> and love? Because the reality is there are many people, and it's growing increasingly in our culture that says if you believe the sexual ethic of Jesus, you are bigoted by definition. The mm. option for a Bible-believing Christian is not to soften the teachings of Jesus. I won't, and no listener can, and be still faithful to Jesus. So yeah, if someone's right. going to call me a bigot because I hold a view of marriage that Jesus holds, great. I consider that a compliment because they nailed him to the cross. Now, I don't go looking to be persecuted and called names, and I want to make sure with that said— that the reason somebody is upset with me is not because of the way I have or haven't treated them, but because mm. of some position I hold that I can't compromise. And the reality yeah. is, I think more often than not for Christians, what has turned people away is not primarily our theology, but it's our lack of love and grace and understanding with others. That's the okay. primary thing that I think turns other people away. So don't compromise truth, but we have to lead with understanding. Let's lead with charity. Let's lead with kindness. Let's be a good listener and find a way to love people, even when they disagree with us on this issue. And I found that most people, not all, but most people <laughs> will resonate if we just treat them the way we want to be treated. That's how we have to approach this conversation. So when it's all said and done, I'm not going to say to a young person, here's how you aren't viewed as a bigot, because you know what? Your view in the eyes of some people is bigotry. I don't think it yeah. is, but that's how some will view it. The question is, regardless of how people respond, how do we make sure we are genuinely loving people based on a biblical view of love and we are motivated by kindness? Then we can let the chips fall where they may. So good, man. I heard someone say one time in talking about uh, one specific church's approach to reaching the people that were coming into their environments is that the gospel is offensive enough, nothing else should be. Hmm. So, it's basically just communicating this hey, when they walk through the doors of the sanctuary and they are confronted with the word of the Lord. That's probably going to sting because we're not going to shy away from that truth of the gospel. But everything else about us as believers needs to reflect this come and be, belong here in this space with us. Because it's not only you that's offended by this gospel, it's us too. As, as we all move forward, this gospel is a, an equal offender. So hmm. I've I love the way that you that you position that. It's not that I think sometimes as we pastor students, we feel like we have to soft pedal the truth sometimes mm -hmm. in order to draw in a group, any one, any group of students in particular. That okay, I'm I'm not going to address this, or I'm not going to address that, and we're trying to be savvy about what we say to 
to speak to the hearts of some of any specific person. But it's not that. It's not shying away from the truth, but it is highlighting how is the truth that is equally offensive to me also the most uh, the most loving thing that has ever been told to me. Hmm. How is that um how is that my 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 shield, you know? How do I see that truth like David saw that truth as my place of refuge? And how do I communicate that love to these people that I'm pastoring while also not shying away from that truth? It's an interesting conversation, I think, because I think in church circles, we tend, uh, there is a temptation, I'll say it this way. There is a temptation to put a lot of work on the theology side of things and not a comparable amount of work on the relational side of things. And I think what you're saying is, yes, we've got to be on the theological side, sound, understand what we believe, be able to articulate that in a clear way that reveals Jesus, but also put as much work into the relationship building that provides maybe a fertile ground for those things to land on a little better. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I think there's a few things we can do. We can be careful, for example, like with the language that we use, the stories that we tell. And I'm not the language police who's like, use this pronoun, don't use that pronoun. That is not my point. I'm saying the stories that we tell about issues related to say LGBTQ or people who have experienced sex abuse or people who view pornography. Am I communicating to this group that no matter what decision you've made, there is a biblical standard here we're aiming for, but you are loved and you are accepted and you are valued no matter what. Are we creating an us versus them narrative? that's going to alienate kids? Or is it, gosh, are we creating a bridges with other people? So I think we just have to take stock. I had a young man in Kenya, says, I'm so worried to come out to my parents. They don't know that I have same-sex attraction because I've heard little comments they've made here and there about gay people in the gay community. Those small comments stuck, stood mm. with him. And prevented him from wanting to talk to his parents. We got to be careful how we talk about other people and make sure it's with charity, make sure it's with kindness. Those are the little things that help somebody feel included and involved and valued in a community and in a church. I'd also say get our students out, not just those who come through our doors. We should be teaching our students how to have conversations with people who see the world differently love them, care for them, build relationships with them, even though they maybe see the world very differently. Often for me leading into a, a conversation where I know that I'm going to have a different opinion from the person I'm speaking to, it's so helpful for me to try to think ahead of time, how do I think they're going to approach this conversation? So I don't find myself in the moment, my heart beating fast, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm emotional about it, and I'm not responding in the most loving way to them. Are there some of those things that you would say, hey, student pastor, be ready for these kind of comments or these conversation points 
to make sure that you don't have the jaw to the floor moment or just the the knee jerk reaction? Oh gosh, today I think there's a lot. I mean, you just look at what kids are looking at on pornography. I mean, this the kinds of pornography kids are seeing now. To be very frank, since you asked, sex with robots, sex with animals. I have had all these kinds of questions from young people. And if you look at, I mean, I have a kid recently, he's like, I'm polysexual, I'm pansexual. Like, this is just the water these kids are swimming in. So I do my best to to try to think through ahead of time the kinds of questions young people ask and how I will respond before they come. But there's inevitably questions that come in my mind. I'm going, dear Lord, you're 13. How are you thinking about this? Like, oh my goodness, but they saw it on Netflix or something. So I yeah. learned to just inside, take a deep breath, not freak out, ask questions and make sure they don't feel like I'm looking at them like they're crazy for asking this, but I'm glad they came to me. So this goes right along into the scenario uh, that I was going to have you walk through to kind of cap off this episode. And that is you're a student pastor and you have a student that says, hey, do you have a few minutes where we could talk? And they share something with you in this category. Hey, I, uh, I'm struggling with gender or I think I'm gay or one of the other issues I'm addicted to pornography or one of the things that you mentioned earlier. Can you give us a framework? And in that moment, I think it's going to include some of the things you just said but how a student pastor can handle and shepherd that moment really well. So let's take one of those. Let's assume it's a kid that's coming out to you and says, or actually let's take the transgender issue. And a kid who's a boy says, I think I'm a girl. How do you respond? First thing I say is I say, gosh, thanks so much for sharing with me and opening up. I can only imagine how much it took for you to share this, not knowing how people would respond. So thank you for trusting me with this part of your life. Second, tell me how long have you been wrestling with this? When did you first have the thought that, gosh, I'm a biological boy, but I feel like I'm a girl? Uh, have you shared with anybody else? How are you hoping that I respond to you. I'm just going to ask and gather information. And to me, in that conversation, a win is that this young person knows Mr. McDowell cares for me and is going to stay with me through this no matter what happens. That's step number one. Now, any kid who'd been in my youth group or been in my Bible class knows where I stand on the range of issues. It's no secret. So I don't feel the need immediately to say, you know what, if you go to Genesis 1, Bible says God made us male and female. Keep that in mind. Like they know where I stand. I'm mm. going to lead with grace, lead with relationship, and then probably say, okay, next step is we want to tell your parents in due time, do you want me to go with you? Because that minimizes oftentimes parents responding away. We don't want them to necessarily respond. And by the way, sometimes I'll say to kids, I'll say, look, you've probably been thinking about this for months or years your parents are just finding out. So let's have some grace with maybe the shock that they will feel. Is that fair? So I'll kind of help prep the kid for that. So win number one is listen, love, comfort. And I probably also would 
connect this young person if it's a gender issue with somebody who's a Christian who wrestles with gender dysphoria or somebody who transitioned and transitioned back to give them a perspective they're probably not getting on YouTube, probably not getting at school, and to see that there's really loving, thoughtful Christians who have worked through this. And I think that's great because I know uh, there are student pastors who are contemplating that very thing. Uh, some of them have had it and didn't know how to respond, and some of them are anticipating those moments becoming perhaps more frequent. So I really appreciate that wisdom uh, as we approach this topic. John Paul, any last things before we wrap it? Only to say, I hope you wrote down that progression of questions because that is a, a template for how to have a lot of difficult conversations with students. I, I love the way that you approach that, Sean. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Sean, thank you for being a part of these four episodes, and thank you for being willing to partner uh, to do Chasing Love. It's going to, uh, I am really hopeful that it is going to have a massive impact in the lives of teenagers all around the world. So thank you for being willing to, to do that. It's been an honor and privilege to be part of it, and thanks for having me on. Special thanks to Sean McDowell for joining us for this episode and the other three episodes in this series on teenagers, love, sex, gender, and relationships. I want to encourage you to listen to those. If you want to find out more about Sean's new book and Bible study called Chasing Love, you can go to lifeway.com slash chasing love. I also wanted to let you know about a longer conversation that Sean and I had over on YouTube at Student Ministry That Matters. If you want more of this kind of content, and uh, Sean and I are able to dive in a little bit deeper because of the longer conversation there. So head over to Student Ministry That Matters. And this has been another episode of Lifeway Student Ministry Podcast. We'll see you next time.